safety and the travel that you've uh, given us, and we just we just pray that you would intercede for all that are traveling and coming back from school and and many vacations. And Lord, we just ask for your protection, Lord. And we are encouraged encouraged by the students that are coming back and willing to serve you this summer. And we just <coughs> pray that we'd be an encouragement to them, Lord. And Lord, just many in our family who are are suffering illnesses, and we just pray you intercede for them. And and Lord, not only. Uh, physically but mentally may you help them and guide your holy spirit guide them and encourage them lord we thank you so much for this adult class and, and the subject matter through your word for making a difference lord we just we thank you so much for the doctrine that we have and it's given here and we just pray that you guide the pastor as he, he brings us that lesson today and lord we just we pray that you you're glorified with all this done lord we we pray that you bless this offering May it be used to spread the gospel throughout the world. May it be used to, to support the missionaries who are doing your work. And, and Lord, we just thank you for it. And through Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Have your book out this morning, your Bible ready, pen ready. We're going to pick up again. Uh, we're looking at this morning, making a difference, and today through being encouragers. 
Let me ask you this. Any of you know somebody that can just suck the air out of the room when they come in by their attitude and by what they're going to say? Doctors have the ability to do that. Mechanics have the ability to do that, don't they? My wife had a flat tire on her vehicle a little over a week ago, and, and uh, so we've been riding around on one of those little donut wheels. And I called the mechanic and said, you know, what, uh, what is the tire going to cost for this thing? And he told me. It was not encouraging. And he said, well, you have to understand, it's a special size tire on that vehicle. And I said, well, I don't want a special size tire. Do you have three more of these donut tires that I could put on? Any less expensive? And he said, yeah, but it's only going to last you about, about 50 miles, and then you'll be in trouble again. But uh, that sort of had, and, it, and you know, there's just certain, there's certain people that can suck the joy right out of a conversation. And I'm going to tell you this, that, that's not a gift of the Holy Spirit, by the way. That's not a gift of the Holy Spirit, so don't think that it is. The Bible nowhere tells us that we should be responsible for bringing down the morale or bringing down the encouragement of people. But in multiple places, it tells us to be encouragers. You know, there are some people that you and I know that you know when there's a conversation that's going to be started with them you know it's going to be a negative conversation you know that the conversation is never going to be based on a positive thing and that just sort of defeats a person now we're going to look this morning and i want you to have your place in the book of acts chapter 11 and we're slowly this isn't a series about acts 11 this is just a series about the early first century church and I hear people oftentimes talk about being a 21st century church or whatever like that. The model for us ought not be the 21st century church. It ought to be the 1st century church. They're the ones that came closest to following God's command for the church of any generation. We're going to notice this morning the difference that having an encourager can make. There's three parts that we'll look at. We're going to look at the place of encouragement, the person of encouragement, and the product of encouragement as well. Now, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 22 and verse number 1, it says this, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. Now, probably everybody in this room here this morning has more than one name. You probably have multiple names, and we'll not get into all of those this morning. But the character that our lesson is based off of is a character who has more than one name. He has a given name, and then he has a name that is adopted to him, and that name has a definition that describes it. So in Acts chapter 4, if you would, let's look there first. In Acts chapter 4, we're first introduced to our, our character, our theme. And Acts chapter 4 and verse number 36 says, And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas. Now the name Joseph is the same name also as Joseph. And so meaning the same. 
who by the apostles, and this is sort of a nickname or a byname, was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. Then we find out that he is a Levite and of the country of Cyprus. So the disciples had given him another name, and basically that name, we could call it a nickname. We could call it a name that was after his character. We had a man in the church a number of years ago for a few years, and here was his name, Shorty. Do you know why they called him Shorty? No. He was about this tall. And they called him Shorty. It's not the Shorty that some of you are thinking of either. This has been at least 35 years ago. It's, you know, this fellow was a mechanic. God graciously and gratefully saved it. Now, Joseph, or Joseph, who the disciples nicknamed the son of consolation, that basically means this. He's an encourager. They saw the character of him. They saw the action of him. They saw the work. They saw his ministry. And here's what they realized. Everybody likes to talk to him. Everyone enjoys a relationship with him. Everybody that he comes in contact with, there is a positive conversation that's given. Maybe I'm not positive when he talks to me, but when he talks to me, he encourages me, he exhorts me. Notice the word console, the son of consolation. He consoles people. What is that? To comfort, to encourage to edify, sort of a side note and an announcement that's attached to this. Our prayer list here at the church is important to people. I hope it's important to you. It brings comfort to people to know that this church and our members are praying for them. A week ago today, my parents left out of Lexington and did not think that my uncle would ever get out of the hospital. He's at home today. He called my mom last night. Do you know what he wanted to know of all things? Am I on the prayer list at your church? You know what that tells me? There's consolation for him. There's comfort for him. He's a baby Christian. I told, he, he has said within the last 10 days, he told his wife uh, when he was so ill, I don't even know how to pray. He's that young in Christ. But there brings some comfort. There brings some consolation through prayer. Now, this console, to comfort, to encourage, to edify. What is that? They're talking about lifting up, to exhort. Now, when we look at Hebrews chapter 10 and verse number 25, it tells us to exhort one another daily. And then it goes beyond that and says this, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. As the hard times come, as difficulties come, as low tide is in, exhort one another daily. What is that? Encourage each other. Console one another. Listen, there are enough discouraging things in the world today outside of the confines of the church and Christian relationships. There's enough to discourage us without having discouragement within the church and within Christianity. And so the command for us is this, that we exhort one another daily. We encourage one another daily. We lift one another daily. Now, they have found a role model in Joseph, Joseph, who they nicknamed Barnabas, the son of consolation. But I want us to begin, and as we do this morning with number one, 
we want to look first of all at the place of encouragement. And this is in Antioch. Now let's read some verses together beginning in Acts 11 verse 19. Let's pick up there. And let's get what's happening around Barnabas. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. All right, so where, we, where were we about witness last week? Our witness. And we use Stephen as our character for the witness. And now it says because of what happened to Stephen, the Christians, the Jews, the Christians were being scattered abroad, and it tells us where they're being scattered to. And on top of that being scattered, uh, it says that they preached the word, but it was restricted who they preached it to. It was still only to the Jew. Now continue verse number 20. And some of them, which were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, they spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was, a, was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. So this is some of the first ministries to the Grecians or to the Gentiles. Now, where, why would we be in Antioch? We're in Antioch because the Christians were being persecuted and they had left Jerusalem. Geographically, where are they now? The population of Antioch is probably in the neighborhood of 200 to 250,000 people. It is thought that this city of Antioch was about 300 miles north of Jerusalem. This is where, this is, the, this is the distance that these Jews had traveled, that these Christians had traveled to get away from the persecution. And so 300 miles north is Antioch. This is the place that we're looking at. The people that lived in Antioch, and we'll rehearse this probably twice this morning, they were ungodly people. The religion that they did have was an immoral religion. It was an ungodly religion. But when they saw, and we, I wish there was some way to get this across to our hearts. When they saw these Christians who had traveled 300 miles, and listen, it wasn't Amtrak, and it wasn't a, an airline. It was by foot and by beast. And they've traveled 300 miles, and when they got there, do you know how you are when you have traveled a long day, even in an air-conditioned power steering car? When you get to your destination, you know, most of the time I'm sort of like, whew, I am so glad to be out of the car. I'm so glad to have that behind us. But they see something in these Christians who have traveled and journeyed this 300 miles. They are so despondent with their religion and overcome and overpowered with their religion they feel defeated and destroyed by it. They see a people of religion who their religion and their faith has made a difference in them. They see a joy in them. They give them the gospel for the first time. And the Bible says that many of them, that many of them responded. So we look at a, the scattering of the persecuted. Now in Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1, and Saul was consenting unto his death. You remember what was happening at Stephen's death? There stood Saul, and he's holding the coats. 
And at the time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. That's interesting. Because you remember the command of Christ? Do you remember the great command, the great commission? That we go into all the world. But then it said, unto Jerusalem, and then where? Judea, and then where? Samaria. The persecution that they're under is causing them to follow the command. Notice again, it says in the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, they were there except for the apostles, the apostles still at Jerusalem. Now, during this scattering abroad, the church refused to be silent about this newfound faith that they had. They were not going to be silenced. They were not going to be shut down. Acts chapter 8 and verse 4, Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. What were they doing? Same thing we talked about last week. They were testifying, this is what God has done for me. And they're doing it in a joyous way. Not all because of God, we are having to travel 300 miles north of Jerusalem and this, we don't like this big city and we just do this. There's nothing to it of that. It's very positive in what they're doing. And everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. So the reason here that we're looking at, the place of the encouragement was Antioch. That's important. The scattering of the persecuted is how they got there. B, the salvation of the pagans that we see while they're there. The salvation of the pagans. Verse 19 uh, still encouraging the Jews. The Jews were scattered. The believers were scattered. And they began sharing the gospel. Verse number 20, there was a ma- this is a major change. Now remember, what is about to happen is the church in Jerusalem, 300 miles away, is going to hear what's happened at Antioch. They're going to hear that these Christians... Not the, not the apostles, but the Christians who left Jerusalem, they left there with the heart of being encouraging to people and carrying the gospel, and they went to Antioch and they preached, and people were saved, Gentiles were saved. Now, when we look at this, they have undoubtedly, they've heard about, how we could go to Acts chapter 10, and that is Peter's contact with Cornelius of the Italian band, and the gospel was given there. Verse number 24, he gathered his kinsmen together and his friends, and the gospel was given to them. Verse number 34 uh, of that chapter, uh, chapter 10, tells us that God was not a respecter of persons. He's not going to turn any away. Verse 38 through verse 43, the gospel is clearly given, and they respond. In verse 47, there's baptism that happens there. Now in Acts chapter 11, look at verse number 18, if you would. When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also, uh, then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. So the, the gossip travels, the word travels. Something amazing is happening in Antioch, and word travels back to Jerusalem. And you do not see in this passage of Scripture that those in Jerusalem said, Oh, no, those people can't be saved. It didn't say, oh, that was meant for us, not them. Notice what it says. They were glad. They rejoiced in the Lord what was happening, and they're going to act upon that as well. There had been, in Acts chapter 11, there has been, we would call it an instant revival. It was an instant evangelistic meeting somewhat. The Gentiles being exhausted with their religion and how they had to work for it and just being 
just being overcome. I, I, I'll tie this into our missions this morning. That's why we are seeing in numbers of nations right now, we are seeing Muslims come to know Christ as personal Savior in Syria and in other nations. Because they have been taught all of their life one thing. They have never been allowed to hear any truth other than what the government wanted them to hear. I tell you, that's one of the things that we ought to praise the Lord for. You don't have to, you don't have to base your faith on what the government says and what the church says. God has enabled us to have this book, and every church member has the opportunity and the option to educate themselves out of this book. But for these Muslims, that's all they've ever been taught. In China this morning, under communistic rule, why is it that more people are coming to Christ in China than any other nation right now? Because they've only been taught what the government wanted them to hear and what the church state wanted them to hear. And when somebody takes the truth to them, they are so overcome with their religious things. They're so burdened by what they have to do for supposed salvation that when they hear the truth, it's refreshing to them. It's encouraging to them. So they recognized it. And the church at Jerusalem recognized what was happening. And they're going to respond to it just briefly. Let's go to number two if we can. The person. We've looked at the place, Antioch. 250,000 people, an ungodly city. They are 300 miles from Jerusalem. The persecuted Christians begin to bring the gospel. And now there's a person of encouragement. The word has come back up to the church at Jerusalem, what is happening. And they determined that they need to send somebody who... And remember that Barnabas is a Levite. He has a little more education. He has a little more spiritual knowledge and maturity than just the Christians who were fleeing. And so the church at Jerusalem said, we need to do something to help them. We need to, we need to, we want to know more. And I encourage everybody that's here this morning that participates in missions giving. We ought to want to know more about what's happening with our missionaries and what they're doing. And that's what the church at Jerusalem said. We want to be a part of this. We want to have our hand in this. And they chose Barnabas to send to Antioch. And so Barnabas makes his way to Antioch. Reading, if you would, in verse number 22, Acts 11. Then tidings of these things came to the ears of the church, which was at Jerusalem. They sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad. Now we begin to take note of some things that we're going to mark in just a moment. He was glad and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the church. Now, as we start with this, Barnabas noticed there's characteristics of him, and we want to jot those out, and then we want to look at our own selves and say, okay, I want to be an encourager. I want to bring comfort to people. I want to exhort, I want to have an attitude. I want people, when they see me, to know I, I, I'm going to have an uplifting uh, moment with their spirit, with who they are. I don't want to be a discourager. And so let's learn how Barnabas, what were his characteristics? First of all, notice it said this, Barnabas was glad. He was glad. Now, can you imagine that these in Jerusalem could very easily have been skeptical? Now, in Galatians, it tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. And I told you before, I believe that they come in order. 
I believe that's why love is first. And you remember when the disciples and others got into a, a conversation with Christ and they said, which is the great commandment? The great commandment was locked up in that word love. But notice on the heels of that in Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit is love and then what? Joy. Every Christian ought to have joy. Barnabas was glad. He was glad uh, for the conversation. Uh, we can read in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, it says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice. I believe you have 1 Corinthians 12 in the book here. And whether one member suffer or all members suffer, uh, which is the one member be honored or all, or all the members, uh, rejoice with it. Rejoice. Now, unfortunately, Christianity has been marred since the early centuries by what, and again, uh, know this. I, I told our teachers this in teachers' meeting on Wednesday evening. There's not, a, I do not understand. That I, mechanically, there's some things that I can do, especially if it's an older vehicle. You raise the hood of a new vehicle and look in, you don't know what's what. Older stuff you can look in, there's certain mechanics that you can do. There's certain things about a computer that I can do. There's a number of things I cannot do. I figured this out a number of years ago the hard way. You'll understand when I get to the end of the illustration. I was, I guess it's been seven or eight years ago. I had just gotten some help and gotten things set that I, I, I knew my way around to do my word processing and type my messages in and get what I wanted highlighted and all that kind of stuff. I just got it all figured out. I sat down one day and the screen came up and it said this, do you want to return to your default settings? Hmm. I kept pushing and it wouldn't let me do anything. And so I have to answer this question. And so I thought, why not? So I hit, and it didn't say sure, it said yes or no, and I hit yes. And it said, this may take a minute. And when it finished in a minute or two, it had taken everything that everybody had done to help me back to like it was when the computer was where I didn't know how to use it. It went back to the old methods the old things, what was in, stored in it or put into it from the manufacturer. Now, I tell you that to say this. That's also a characteristic of Christians. Let me prove it to you. Israel came out of the land of Egypt. They were trying to figure some things out one day with Moses, and they said this. We want a default. Do you remember how they said it? Would to God we were back in Egypt. We sure would like to go back like it was. And they defaulted. Let's go to the New Testament. The disciples are discouraged. They're having a very difficult time. And Peter says this. I go a-fishing. Listen, I've done this disciple thing. I've traveled with Jesus. I've listened to Jesus. I've seen what he's doing. I thought it was this. 
I'm going back to what I know. I think there are a lot of Christians today that can't be classified with the characteristic of being glad because they keep defaulting back. They keep going back to what things were. We've got to move. But Barnabas, first of all, was glad. There's a separation from being glad into the second one. Notice two or B, Barnabas was good. What a simple yet important label. He was a, a good man. The Bible talks to us in our memory verse tells us this morning, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, everybody, especially unto those that are of the household of faith. We ought to give special care and special consolation to those that are of the family of God. But we're to look for the opportunity to do good to all men. James chapter 4, verse 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is what? Sin. Now doing good in the Scripture, first of all, is a command. Doing good is a conviction that we have to have. Doing good is a commitment. And then doing good is a choice. Now none of those are a place for you to fill out, but all four of those things are true in our spiritual life. Doing good is a command. It's a conviction, it's a commitment, and it's a personal choice. We can choose to do good or we can choose to do bad. That's why James said, uh, therefore him that knoweth to do good and he chooses to do it not, to him it is said. Now we move to the third and this drastically, let us see, this drastically moves it. He was glad, he was happy, he rejoiced at what was going on. He was good and he made those choices and he followed what Christians were supposed to do in being good. And now notice, if you would please, that we come along to godly. Barnabas was godly. We find that in verse 24. Acts chapter 6 and verse number 5 says this, and saying, and the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and it lists off the others, these that were chosen. Now, I have known some people who were good people, I have known some people who were glad people this weekend thinking of this. I, I happen to think back, my parents probably remember it maybe more clearly than I do, but when I was in second grade, I met a man in, in, in Springfield. His wife attended the church, but he did not. His last name was Holcomb. And I think my, I think my parents were using me. As best I remember him, he was a good man. But he was not a godly man. A few times he would come to church because I asked him to come, but he, would, he sort of grandfathered me. He attached himself to me, and I was allowed to spend a little bit of time with him. We'd walk around the track out in the backyard together and do, he cut grass, he did a lot of different things. But here's what I remember. I've, I've, it's a vague memory, but I remember his wife and my parents talking about his spiritual condition. Now, I have thought of him so many times through the years. He influenced me as a young boy, and he was a good man. But I can't tell you that he was a godly man. You can be a good man, but if you're not a godly man, life becomes totally different with that. Barnabas was a godly man. And notice it says he's full of faith and the Holy Ghost. There's two things there, filled with the Spirit. We've talked about that in making a difference. Godly, devout, pious, faithful, God-fearing, 
holy are all words that can come about with this. Barnabas was a godly man. He was a godly man because the description is given that he was filled with the Spirit, and the second, that he was full of faith. Now, when, when it says this, full of faith, you know what full means? Saturated. He was saturated with faith. So let me ask you a question this morning. What are we saturated with? What are we saturated with? When life rings you out, what comes out? Most people who are discouragers and not encouragers, if you squeeze them, you figure out what they're saturated with. And it's not the Spirit. Most people who are discouragers are filled with self, not Spirit. But it says that he was filled with the Spirit and he was full of faith. Notice D, if you would, please. Barnabas was also giving. He was giving. Acts chapter 4, we were there a little earlier, verse 36 and 37, and 36 introduces us uh, with his name and who he was. But notice verse 37, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. We think uh, with this, we think that he had a piece of property in his uh, home area, Cyrene more than likely, and uh, it, he sold that piece of property, and, and here's what he did. Let's just try to get the whole picture in here. He sold the piece of property, and he took the money, and he brought it to the church. Not necessarily the church at Jerusalem. The church of Antioch. Why? Because he sees the young church that needs help. A friend of mine, Philip Bishop, pastors Lighthouse Baptist Church up in Annandale. They, for years, have been working with their building fund and the county in that area, Northern Virginia, has given them uh, the devil over the last several years as they got ready to build. And the church finally came to the conclusion of this. It must just not be God's will for us to build. And so we're going to disperse our building fund and we're going to give it to new church plants. And in the last two years, they have divided uh, a lot of money. I know one new church... Uh, uh, up in up in Easton, Maryland, <clears throat> Brother Jake Reed is the pastor there, and Brother Bishop it was a former state police officer and now the pastor there. He he and his church took twenty thousand dollars and went up to Easton and renovated the inside of the building for this church so they could keep going. Now I got I got to speed this illustration up. They have given most of their building fund away to new churches. Three weeks ago, they got a call from the county and said, we just came across all these plans and all these paperworks and all this stuff where you're trying to build. Are you all building yet? And he said, no, you've told us no every time we've come. Now the county has reverted. They want them to build. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. I talked to Philip uh, two weeks ago. I said, I heard what you did with your building, but it's an incredible thing. He said, it was just the way God led us. I said, now you're ready to build? He said, yes. What are you going to do for building money? He said, God's already given it back to us. Now here, he, we have all the other characteristics, but here he's a giving man. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. I wonder if Paul had Barnabas on his mind when he's writing that verse. I remember when Barnabas sold that piece of property and gave to the church, and look at what... See, from the time you leave Acts chapter 11, when 
Antioch was an infant church to the time you get to Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, Antioch is a giant church, and I don't mean by size. They're a church of great faith. In fact, Barnabas was so encouraged by the people that were saved in Antioch that he left and went and got Paul. And he brought Paul to Antioch. And they stayed there for a year. We've got to move quickly. And we find number three, the product of the encouragement. The product. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that for a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. And so we actually, our name comes, is derived from there. Notice A, if you would, he helped a missionary get his start. Now, we've talked about Barnabas being an encourager, and he comes to the church and he encourages them. But notice he helped a missionary get his start. I want to take just a couple of minutes with this. Paul, holding the coats of Stephen, uh, the, Stephen, the people that killed Stephen, being a part of it, being a part of the persecution, on the road to Damascus, God speaks to him. There's a conversion experience. He's blinded. All these things happen, we know. Now he's wanting to be a part of the disciples. Do you, as a disciple, want to have anything to do with Paul? Absolutely not. You're going to think, oh, he wants to get on the inside so he can destroy it from the inside. So the disciples were, we don't want to have anything to do with him. Guess who brought Paul into the disciples? Barnabas. Barnabas introduced them. Barnabas was an encourager of Paul to begin with. Now when the church of Antioch is being formed, Barnabas leaves and he goes to get Paul. He says, Paul, you've got to come on. You gotta, we've got to help this. And Paul's missionary journeys are based on the encouragement of Barnabas. Acts chapter 9, verse number 26. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how that he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. If it hadn't been for Barnabas, the name Paul would have never been known. And so we find, first of all, that he helped a missionary get his start. Let's look at B for just a moment. He helped our movement get its name. He helped our movement get its name. The Antioch believers were given a new name. And they didn't sit down and say, what are we going to be called? The name was given to them. It was not given to them by the church at Jerusalem. It was given to them by the enemies. And as best I can tell, when someone called another person by this name, it sounded more like this. My brother Bob, he's a Christian. It wasn't meant as a compliment. It wasn't meant as a good name. It was meant sarcastic. They were first called Christians at Antioch. Well, that word Christian, what are we talking about? Christ-like ones or Christ followers. So now Antioch has come from being an entirely Gentile city of 200,000 people 
and a major faith switch or change. Many had believed, and as we read that scripture just a moment ago, it said that they preached boldly and many people were converted. And now it's having an impact on the, on the city. And so the city goes from Acts chapter 11 being a new church work that needed help to Acts chapter 13, even in their poverty, they are giving. I wonder why. Now, we don't have time this morning. we only got a few minutes left in here. Where would you think the church at Antioch? Now, remember it said in their poverty they gave. They were having a hard time. They were having issues, but they heard that another church needed help. And the Bible says that out of their deep poverty, they gave with liberality. <clears throat> now, I want you to think with me for a moment. Where did they ever get that thought? Where did they get that thought? They had seen, they had seen that thought lived out in the person of Barnabas. Now, they may not have everything that Barnabas had, but they saw Barnabas sell what he had. And it wasn't a command. He didn't have to do that. It wasn't a necessity. There wasn't a place of Scripture that said, Barnabas, sell what you have and give it without question. It wasn't given from his account. It was given from his heart. There's a lot of Christians that rob themselves of their blessing, of their giving, because they give from their account. We write our check, or we put our cash, and we do whatever we do, and we're giving from our account. When Barnabas gave, he gave from his heart. And I've told you this throughout the series of this making a difference. Somebody is watching you right now. somebody's eyes are on you in a spiritual way. And here these new converts were Gentiles of all things, and their eyes are on Barnabas. And Barnabas sells what he has, and he brings it, it can be used, and between chapter 11 and chapter 13, the church is transformed. And they said, if he can do that, and if he does that, we ought to. My word, what he's done for us how he's encouraged us, how he's blessed us. He helped our name get its movement here. I was reading, behind, I like to read uh, hymn stories, and I was reading behind a man by the name of George Schuler and Ira Wilson. One wrote the words, and the other wrote the music. And they finished it, and they presented it to be used in religious services and it was rejected until it finally hit the Inter International Sunday School Convention where it was first used. And here's the song. Out on the highways and byways of life, many are weary and sad. Would you agree with that? Carry the sunshine where darkness is rife, making the sorrowing glad. And here was their course. Make me a blessing. Make me a blessing. Out of my life may Jesus shine. Make me a blessing, O oh Savior, I pray. Make me a blessing to someone today. Let me be an encourager. Let me be a consoler. You don't have to look very far to find people who have been stepped on. You don't have to look very far to find people who have been offended and hurt. 
I think probably Thursday of this week, and I, I occasionally have these dates. Thursday was my day for it. And I talked to four pastors on Thursday. All four of them were discouraged. I don't know if God allowed me to be any help or an encouragement to them. I prayed when I hung the phone up from every one of them. One of them was a pastor who is having struggles with inside of his family. Another was a pastor who was having struggles within the church. Another was having issues physically. You don't have to look far. In fact, it may even be in your seat. You don't have to look far to find people that need somebody to encourage them. Listen, there's enough people to criticize. There's enough people to step on. There's enough people that will do all those things. We need to determine to do what the Bible says. Make a difference by being an encourager. By exhorting. By edifying. And the Bible says this. Do it daily. As you have opportunity daily. And remember what the verse said? And so much the more as you see the day approaching. The entire complexion of Christianity of the first century church changed with the founding of the city of Ant the church in the city of Antioch. It was started under adversity and persecution, but it was started by Christians who simply were telling what Christ, remember last week's Sunday school lesson, the witness? So the whole Antioch church was started by Christians who were simply telling what Christ had done for them. And then from chapter 11, it became a church that needed help. Barnabas went and got Paul and brought him by chapter 13. It was a church that was reaching out, encouraging others. And it changes the scope of the New Testament church. Let's stand together be dismissed from our Sunday school class. We'll be here in a few minutes. We're talking about service this morning. Two men and two towels. Let's be dismissed in prayer uh, this morning, if, if we may please. Brother Brian Hickson, would you pray for us?